Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. And welcome to Tunnel Vision, a show brought to you by uscfootball.com. I am your host, uh, Ryan Abraham, fresh off the trip uh, to Chicago and South Bend to see USC get absolutely dismantled by Notre Dame. I'm joined in studio alongside Connor Morissette, and we got uh, the Helium Boy, the Cilantro Boy, Chris Trevino, call him 18K, whatever you want to do, uh, host of the Composite Two-Star Recruits podcast. He is in studio. So Jack in away games, you know, a little tougher for Jack to get in here. He's a student. He's got to do like student stuff. So I'll be host today, but we got Connor and Chris. All of us were there in South Bend uh, to see, to witness this uh, non-memorable game, I guess you could call it. Uh, but yeah, we were there. We had uh, shotgun there. Jack was there. Dan Weber came out for it. We had six people covering this game, which is absolutely crazy. Uh, but we're going to break it all down for you. Uh, we are live on three different platforms, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. So if you're listening or watching on any of those, thank you for doing that. If you're on Facebook or YouTube, you can put your comments in the chat box and I should be able to see them and uh, put them up on the screen. And if you have a question, please just say question in there and I will uh, mark it for later and we will get to it. We're also taking live calls tonight. 5124 Tunnel is uh, the, line, the, the, the line you can call in and we can put you right on the show. We got to keep them brief. So 45 seconds or so. So don't just tell us everything you're feeling. We can't do that. We can't make this about that. So we just want to get your questions in and we'll do our best uh, to answer those. And you can see all of our Twitter handles down there, our X handles or whatever they're called. So check those out. You can follow us on social. And of course, we're all, all of our content's up at uscfootball.com. Tons of uh, content going up there each and every game, each and every week, all the practices. Make sure you check out Chris's ghost notes. Those are great stuff. Instant analysis, all the videos. Uh, Connor and I just did an interview with Tackett Curtis, the uh, fan favorite linebacker, right on our YouTube channel at Inside Troy. So make sure you check that out as well. But lots of content going up and lots of stuff we got to talk about, fellas. But anyway, I just wanted to welcome you and thank you guys for uh, joining us. Chris, I know we heard a lot from you on the uh, emergency podcast that we recorded in the car driving back from South Bend uh, to Chicago. But welcome to you because you're not a regular on Tunnel Vision at this point. Yeah, I'm just kind of the backup, step in when uh, you know it's needed, next man up mentality. So happy to be on the show with you guys. Uh, as I know, I'm so semi-retired from Tunnel Vision, but you know you had to bring me back out here for a not-so-fun episode. So thanks for bringing me on for a not-so-fun episode. But yeah, happy to be in studio with you guys again. Uh, Silver, on we had a 
a, a message on Facebook. Don't take live calls. Sorry, we take live calls. We do like to do it. We want to get some venting, but we don't. We can't let them go on forever. It's but. therapeutic. It's therapeutic. It's a little therapeutic. Connor, we had someone who who was talking to us about, and I think it was the airport or something. They were like, "Yeah, we just. I mean, I've been listening to you forever. We. Uh, it's like therapy for these guys. Uh huh. And people are split. Some don't like the calls because people go on too long, and then they can bring up ridiculous scenarios. Like, I love Dave from Iowa. I've been talking about the Pat McAfee field goal the other day. I didn't even know what he was talking about. I had to have Jack. Uh, break down what that was all about. So sometimes the callers can kind of change the direction of the show. Dave, please keep calling. I love when you call. Um, so I think that has something to do with it. And then other people will sympathize and empathize with the callers, and they like to hear a like perspective, especially after a big loss. So I think people will be happy to hear some people just venting tonight, like you said. Yeah, a little venting, and that's okay. Um, this was a, a poor performance um, by USC, and we knew – the first half of the season was going to be sort of here level. And then the second half of the season would be raised up a notch. USC hasn't looked that strong the last couple of games. If you knew what you knew now, uh, Arizona gave Washington all they could handle. It's obviously, triple overtime, USC. USC was down 17 nothing. They go up to the Palouse and absolutely give a curb stomping to Washington State. Arizona's actually pretty good. Um, so... I think some of the indicators that maybe fans were feeling, okay, this is going to be uh, bad. I don't know if they were all true. I mean, Stanford just got a win at Colorado and USC absolutely blew them out. But there were definitely some chinks in the armor. There was something, uh, you know, something wasn't exactly right. And I, I felt for the last few weeks that USC could get it right and they could get things rolling. And I thought they would uh, against a not so great offense. In Notre Dame, the defense played fine. You can argue, people might argue with that, but 251 yards, whatever. The offense really uh, did not come to play. They stunk it up. Caleb Williams never had three picks in his life, and he did. Um, so this was one of those things. One of the things that Lincoln Riley said, I want to get your thoughts on this after the game, was like, our good is good enough to be you know, elite. He was talking about when they are good, it can be really good. We just haven't seen a lot of that good in the last few weeks. Maybe the first half of Colorado. I don't, I don't, what do you guys think about that good part? How far away is it from good? Can they flip the switch and get the good back? I thought they would, they haven't. So I think this was the game that sort of changed my mind about this team. Cause I was more optimistic the last few weeks, even when they weren't playing well, that's kind of changed now. Uh, but where, where are your thoughts on like the good and um, you know, what they're, where they could be if they start playing better? I think that first half of the Colorado game is something I personally have been touting when we're talking about USC kind of playing through these struggles the last several weeks. It's like, you have to remember, yeah, they look like crap against Arizona State. You know, Arizona, they had to fight and claw back. But remember that first half against Colorado, we know what they're capable of. They're capable of being an absolute buzzsaw with Caleb Williams at the helm, scoring up and down the field, and the defense giving them something and giving them the ball back and letting them score, and that, that cycle stacks upon itself. And, hey, that's a team that can run the table. That's a team that can go toe-to-toe with Oregon and Autzen. That's a team that can knock off Washington. That's a team that could run through Utah. That's the team that everyone wants to see. But now it's it feels like it's becoming a mirage. Was it real? Was it a fluke? I don't know. We'll have to see. Again, Lincoln Riley is a good coach. He's been in the college football playoff. He's won a lot of games. Touted as one of the best coaches in college football. He can coach them up, get them there, but 
it just feels like there's some sort of disconnect with this team and they're not clicking. It seems like something broken them a little bit. I'm not, I'm not sure when that happened and maybe it was the start against Arizona state, just something their confidence got rocked. I don't know, but they have to find that first half of the Colorado. They have to find that mindset. Once again, again, this, this schedule is not going to get any easier. So they have to find it on the fly. They don't have a bye week to lean on to kind of reset themselves. It's got to all be on the run. It's all got to be in the motion. So yeah, I, I still, if you're a USC fan, I still think you're still holding on to that first half because you know, I mean, it's a Heisman winner. You have a Heisman winner back there. You should be, uh, you should be in it for every game because of that, the talent of number 13 and a defense that showed you a little bit of life against Notre Dame. So you still have these little kernels to hold on to, but still you just, they, if you can't put it all together, then it, it, it means nothing. It certainly has been bad the last few weeks, and I thought Notre Dame was going to win the game because of how that Arizona game started and how the Colorado game finished. I thought that Arizona game, you'd want to get that bad taste out of your mouth and come out hot, and they just didn't do that. So that was really troubling for me, and I felt like a good team, especially at home, could be a USC team that really had been kind of coasting by and relying on Caleb Williams way more than they should have been. But the good that Lincoln Riley talks about, for as bad as it's been the last few weeks, this team is so talented, and the LA Times today, I saw something that said USC is in a rebuild now after losing to Notre Dame. They only have one loss. Everything is still ahead of them. The schedule is really challenging, and I think yesterday determined that this is not a college football playoff team, but you can still have a really successful season and maybe play spoiler to another team in the conference that has college football playoff aspirations. If you can get through the rest of the schedule with one loss, get into the Pac-12 championship game, maybe knock someone off, spoil someone else's great season, then have a good season of your own, a really good season. I, I reject the premise that they're rebuilding after a really disappointing loss to Notre Dame. I still think that there's so much talent on this team, and yeah, it hasn't looked very good the last few weeks, but they can certainly turn it around. Football is all about getting punched in the mouth and then how you respond. And we saw Arizona State. Remember Chris sitting here like a month ago? They'd just gotten killed by Fresno State, and I was like, that's it. They're done. They're not going to be able to do anything, and they haven't looked really too good after that, but they came out and they punched USC in the mouth a little bit, and they bounced back. USC, they have all the talent in the world to be able to bounce back, and I think people who have written off the season already, they're, they're, they're way too ahead of themselves. Lincoln Riley is a really good coach. He's won, how many games is it here? 72 and 14 in his career. The schedule is really hard. This is probably the best conference he's ever coached in. But they can definitely get back to what it looked like against Colorado. They have too much talent to to not do that. So there are some certain warning signs, but I think that this team can turn it around and, and be good again. They're not as bad as they were against Notre Dame. I really believe that. I agree, and I think that's one of those things where people look at, um, oh, we saw this. Okay, this is exactly who they are. Yep. It's week to week. I mean, Louisville blew out Notre Dame, and then they go out and get killed by a terrible pit team. It just happens. Like, a college football happens. Is it possible? We said this before. Is it possible that USC loses three or four games towards it? And it, it's certainly possible, especially you just lost one, your first, you know, really hard game, road game. But I don't think it's out of the question that they run the table and they play well. Um, you know, the, this the Utah squad that kind of one-dimensional coming up this weekend, uh, they didn't have to throw the ball all that much, really physical defense. I think it's very similar to Notre Dame that didn't really show all kinds of signs of life on offense. And, um, you know, I, I feel this was one of those games where you could argue, well, the defense, you know, they, they had a lot of short fields. Maybe they didn't have as many opportunities to give up long drives because of the turnovers and everything, but they got some stops and they did pretty well. And they, they weren't relying on the, the tackles for loss and the pressures because they just weren't getting that much. But 
you know, Notre Dame, I think, was three of ten or whatever on third down. It wasn't like they were picking up all these third downs and, and everything. So I feel like the defense was okay. They didn't give up a career day to anybody. Like that's that's kind of a positive sign. You get that kind of working, and then the, the offense completely falls apart. I don't think you're going to see that out of Caleb Williams a whole lot going forward. So you have a similar opportunity this time at home to play a Utah squad, get some revenge. We just talked to Taka Curtis about it. And, you know, even a freshman who wasn't here last year for the two losses to Utah, he made it clear he understands, you know, how important this is to his players. So I, I get it. Doom and gloom. USC is going to lose every game for the rest of the way. I, I don't agree with that. You can get things right against Utah. Go 5-0 and in the conference. You're still number one in the race for the Pac-12. So I still think there's a lot of things ahead of them, but they have to get things right. Things have to change. You have to make some corrections. And we've seen teams go from high to low, low to high. This is a situation, you know, from week to week. This is a situation where USC needs to go from a low to a high and get a really important win against Utah at home. I would argue the Utah game is coming at a good time. You know, you just came off Notre Dame. If you can't get up for this Utah game, the team that beat you twice last year, they nicked you on the on the road last year, and then they embarrassed you in the Pac-12 championship. We know what happened there with the injury, and they couldn't do anything against them. And you remember how you felt when you left that field as a Trojan player. You, you've been stewing in that for a year. Now they come to your house, and you know you just got beat. You're, you're, you're bloodied. You're trying to get back up. This is the game where you can come out and respond and respond early. They did not come out ready against Arizona. They did not come get out ready against Notre Dame. If you can't come out ready against Utah, a team, like I said, you've been thinking about for a year, then, yeah, we, sh we should just write it off then because this is the one that you have to get up for, and it could be the one that springboards you, springboards you into the rest of this back half of the schedule. You got Cal, you can beat Cal on the road. Then you got Washington. They're coming to you. They're riding high. That would be a monster win. And then obviously you have Austin down the road who you can knock them out of the uh, the, the, the Pac-12 race uh, going there. It's going to be tough. But again, you have to get up for Utah. This is this is kind of the, I don't want to say save your season, but to to achieve what you want to achieve, you have to come out well against Utah and comes at a perfect time when you're at your lowest, you can rise up to that occasion. Well, I do believe better days are ahead for USC. I do think yesterday showed that this isn't a college football playoff team. And at the beginning of the year, I thought they had that potential. I would be shocked if they go the rest of the year and don't lose again. I think another loss is definitely likely with the way the schedule sets up. But I still think what I said earlier, you can play spoiler and you can still have a really good season. Just because you don't make the college football playoff doesn't mean the season was all for lost, all for not. And, and yeah, you want to maximize Caleb Williams, but it's really hard to make that college football playoff. And while I think this USC team did have that potential, I think jumping off the, the ship now and saying, oh, the season's done and it's toast, you can still do okay, even if your ultimate goal isn't reached. And I agree, Chris, playing Utah couldn't come at a better time. I, I don't imagine Cam Rising will play. USC should win this game, and they should win this game by a couple scores. Utah, they did okay on offense against Cal. They're not a very good offensive team without a quarterback. We, we've seen it week in and week out. If you play a legitimate top 25 team in the country, if you're uh, Utah, they haven't been able to move the ball. They, they really struggled against Oregon State. I, I thought the USC defense played better against Notre Dame. That's a, a very winnable game at home, especially with all the motivate all, all the motivation Excuse me, that the team should have based on what happened last year. And then you got Cal, and then the real gauntlet starts with, with three really challenging games to end the season. But these next two should be wins for USC, and I, I think the ultimate goal, 
you're going to fall a little bit short after yesterday, but you can still have a special season, and they're still they're going to be better than they were. They're not as bad as they showed Saturday in South Bend. The sky, it's kind of falling, but it's not at the floor. Yeah, I would agree with you there. Um, I want to talk a little defense because, like, Dell on Facebook says, uh, it's sad when the defense gives up 40, and that's considered decent. I don't think that's fair at all, uh, Dell. I mean, five turnovers to zero. Uh, you know, yeah, sure, the defense could have forced more turnovers. None of the, the Notre Dame drives were long drives. There wasn't, I think the longest one was like 60-something, but most of them all started in USC territory. One of them started at the two-yard line. I don't feel like this is something you can put, you know, post and say this is all the defense. They gave up 40 points or whatever it was. Like it really wasn't the case. One was a kickoff return for a touchdown. There was definitely a lot of issues. But the defense, what we wanted to see from this defense, and Taka Curtis talked about this, they were getting some stops. They got stops. They forced you know, to start uh the second half, two three and outs, I believe, for Notre Dame to start up. Now USC had a three and out of their own. But they gave USC's offense some opportunities to get back into the game. And I, I feel like that's just something we didn't see from the defense last year. So I want to kind of get you know, each of your thoughts. You can start with you, Chris, on, on USC's defensive efforts. Yeah, I mean, you look at it 48 points and you just look at the score and it's like, well, the defense played crappy again. That's what you would assume. But no, I mean, yeah, they put in such bad situations all night. And if you take away... You know, those turnovers, USC was shutting them down. They limit them, limited them. You know, it was funny when they showed Sam Hartman at the end of the game and the crowd went crazy. I was like, he didn't really do anything. But again, this was a game where it didn't. it's not what you did. It's what you didn't do. And he didn't turn the ball over. Uh, he didn't throw three picks like Caleb Williams did. He was a game manager. And they didn't need them to throw for 300 yards or run for 150 yards. It was USC was just giving them the opportunities. I, I tweeted it out. Uh, Notre Dame's best offense is their defense because it's putting them in the position. The defense only missed two tackles, two tackles after 49 missed tackles the previous three weeks. That's an incredible improvement. And to do it in South Bend in, a, in an environment that's really tough and it's a, a physical team like Notre Dame. Look, USC's defense came ready to fight. They came to the bar ready to fight and they didn't have any backup. USC's offense didn't back them up. They were cowering in the corner. But I give credit to USC's defense for fighting. Obviously, there were issues because they didn't have a single sack in the game. They had one tackle for a loss. This is a team that's leading the nation in tackles for a loss and top 10 in sacks, and they didn't, only had one. So that has to be better. They didn't get any turnovers. Those were glaring issues, and they would have helped greatly. But again, they made tackles. They made plays. They got they got off the field on third downs. They did have the backbreaking. 46, 47 yarder touchdown in a, in a crucial situation, but that's really just one explosive play after they've been giving them up time and time again in these previous three games. So that's a gr gr grave or drastic improvement from what we've seen. I don't know why we're moving the goalposts with the USC defense all year before the season started, and, and it hasn't changed in my mind. The USC offense, they need to win you the game. The USC defense, they need to not lose you the game. And against Notre Dame, the USC defense did not lose them that game, and we cannot argue about that. The one explosive play that led to the touchdown, the 46-yard pass for Notre Dame, one explosive play. That's hallelujah. One explosive <laughs> play. That's, that's amazing for this defense based on what we've seen the past few weeks. So, of course, they can improve. And the tackles for loss weren't there. And, and they didn't have any sacks. But that was a good enough defensive performance. When you have Caleb Williams and all the talent on offense that it didn't look like they had very much the other night. But they do have a lot of talent on that side of the ball. That 
all year long has been how they're going to win games with what they do on offense. And it's just going to be enough for the defense not to lose in the game. And I, I think against Notre Dame, yeah, I don't think that fighting Irish offense is particularly good, but we've seen USC's defense give up big plays to a lot uh, worse opponents this season. I, I certainly look at that as a positive and will it be a turning point? That remains to be seen, but it's certainly their best defensive performance, I think, of the last month. And I don't think that's a stretch. If yeah. you would have told a USC fan before the game that USC defense would only miss two tackles and they would give up one explosive play, they would have thought they'd win by <laughs> 30 points. Like, no. be honest. No, I agree. We, so we're, there's some – looking at the chat, thanks for everyone that's uh, on our YouTube and Facebook and, and chat. We have some people in the chat that are not happy that we aren't just saying everybody stinks and this is the worst team ever. So Roger is like pumping sunshine doesn't make a bright future. Roger, this is not pumping sunshine. This is telling you what we think. We feel that the defense played good enough to win. That's what Lincoln Riley said. Don't always believe what the coaches are going to tell you. But they did a much better job. 251 total yards. Um, you know, this was a big play USC defense. They were going after the quarterback, maybe to the detriment of allowing explosive plays. They weren't doing that as much. They were kind of keeping things in front of them. You know, this isn't a, a Notre Dame offense that's been clicking the last few weeks, and they weren't great, but USC gave them short fields and allowed them to kind of get some momentum going. Uh, you know, a penalty negates a USC touchdown that would have, you know, tied the score at 10. This is not sunshine pumping. We don't, we're going to tell you what we think. They were really bad on offense. Caleb Williams was not good. The offensive line was fairly terrible. Uh, they couldn't run the ball. They couldn't block. But on the defensive side where all of the criticism was, rightfully so, they played better. So we're going to tell you what we think. I thought special teams was god-awful. We talked about this on the emergency podcast. This isn't sunshine pumping just because we're not saying the, you know, the sky is falling. I know that's what you want. Maybe that makes you feel better. But that's not the reality of it. There are some good things and some bad things. More bad things than good. But the defense wasn't – like I wouldn't say it was great, but it certainly wasn't terrible. And like Connor said – it wasn't going to lose you this game. If you came out, if, if you just score a normal amount of points, don't turn the ball over, USC wins. USC was really bad on offense, turn the ball over, and that was the difference in this one. I think people are pissed off too because losing to your rival Notre Dame in that fashion, okay, now we're not as good as we thought. After that Arizona game, that should have been the indication, and at least it was for me, that this team isn't making the college football playoff. And, and I can show people what, what I wrote. I think my first takeaway after the Arizona game was, this isn't a college football playoff team. We need to stop kidding ourselves. And I was part of the problem for pushing that agenda to begin the season. I thought this team did have that potential, but they showed us who they really were in that Arizona game. Then they lost an uncharacteristically bad game to Notre Dame. So the ceiling for the team for me changed after that Arizona game. And now I'm reacting to what I think they can be, which is a team that can disrupt some other teams and still potentially make a New Year's Six Bowl. But I'm not like a doomsdayer today because I thought that their ultimate goal wasn't going to be able to be achieved after what I saw last week. So I think people in the chat who are saying, oh, everyone's so positive, everyone's so positive. For me, I, I was being, I was accused of being really negative last week because I didn't think that this team could go where uh, I thought at the beginning of the season. I think it's just a week later for a lot of people after USC's first loss. So listen to the show last week if you want more <laughs> negativity from me because I do really believe that I think USC is a, is a better team than they showed against Notre Dame and, and brighter days are ahead. This isn't 
going to be what this team is the rest of the way. Lincoln Riley is a really good football coach. The name of the game is adjustments. They're going to make them. I don't know why it took so long to make some of them. Maybe he needed to get punched in the mouth. I would have liked to see more changes after that Arizona game, but whatever. They lost big. I don't think it's going to be this bad the rest of the year. I'd be shocked if that was the case. Yeah. Connor says, I have receipts. Yeah, Go exactly. Find my receipts. <laughs> With, so uh, Paul on YouTube says, okay, Ryan, that's fair. Looking at our schedule, though, it's pretty doom and gloom, bro. We're about to get destroyed. Um, th see, that's where the issue is. Like, would you say Washington State, Oregon State looks really good. Washington State beat them. They had a good week. They played at home. Arizona's played well two weeks in a row and lost both. They go on the road and just destroy Washington State. I think Oregon State's better than Arizona. What happened there? Stanford, USC could have scored a million on, and they just went into Colorado and won. It's different every week. Just because USC played really bad one week, and they they played you know some bad stretches certainly weeks before that, that doesn't equate. They're definitely getting destroyed. Like you haven't watched college football if you know that for a fact. It's certainly possible that USC doesn't do well against these these tough teams, but to think that it's all doom and gloom and there's no chance. I mean, you literally have the reigning Heisman trophy winner on your team who had his worst game of his career. Do you think he's going to bounce back? He didn't seem very happy. I was right in front of him when he gave his, you know, when he spoke to the media last night, uh, or I guess it was this morning. Um, it's, I mean, you have to know what college football is like. These are 18 to 22 year old kids. It can go different ways. So there's no way you can know there's doom and gloom coming, that they're definitely going to lose all these games. They could. They could lose a bunch, but they could also win a bunch. I, I, I firmly believe that. I think what's pushing it more for, for fans in terms of the, the gloom is that USC hasn't looked great the last four games. You know, you had Arizona State. You're like, oh, that, was, that wasn't good. What was that? Then you have Colorado, you know, taking the first half aside, and you're looking at the second half. It's like that was terrible. What are we doing? And then you have Arizona, and it's like, what are we doing? You have these three games. These are supposed to be like, get it right, get it right. As a USC fan, you're like, well, it's Notre Dame. They'll be ready for Notre Dame. They'll they'll get up at South Bend. They're gonna get that win, first one in 2012. Forget about the last three weeks. Let's trash it. Forget about it. Throw it in the trash. Move on. And then it just carries over. It's just been carrying over and carrying over and carrying over outside of that Colorado first half, which looks like a, a fluke right now. But that's, I think, what it's uh, pushing the, the the doom for them is that they're seeing this sort of slide right here. Yeah, it could go, okay, we're, we're going to actually play to our potential. Or they could just keep sinking down. And again, we said it, Utah. It's the game to – you have your fork in the road right now. You just got beat. You either can – nut up and go <laughs> kick Utah in the teeth or you can continue the tread on which way you've been playing. And that's very, very poorly and making a lot of USC fans mad and uh, having them yell at us on this show. That, that's your decision. Which way they're going to go. We're going to find out on Saturday. The USC defense, will they be better based on one performance? I don't know, but I saw some encouraging signs. What you have to be happy with is USC – their offense was what killed them, and Lincoln Riley is an offensive genius. The offense is going to bounce back, and Caleb Williams is going to bounce back. They're going to score a lot of points. Notre Dame, they had an excellent game plan. They executed it. It was really pretty. They did an exceptional job. USC's going to learn from that and get better. The offensive line was terrible. It's been not so good for a few weeks. 
I don't know how good they can be, but they will definitely be better than they were against Notre Dame. They are going to adjust. If USC lost to Notre Dame like 51-50 and the defense was terrible, then would be saying, okay, it's the same old problem. This team, they've been making the same mistakes for weeks. There were new mistakes against Notre Dame. And I think that because Lincoln Riley is such a good offensive coach and Caleb Williams has won the Heisman and the pedigree that he has, they will bounce back on offense the defense, I'm not going to make some big proclamation about them after one game. It looked better. I just think you have to have a little bit more faith in this team's offense after one bad game from a great quarterback and a, and a great coach. The signs, yeah, they haven't been pretty, but you have to give them, from an offensive perspective, the benefit of the doubt. I don't know if there's a better offensive coach in the country. Yeah, that's one of the things that I find the most, um, I guess, puzzling. Uh, and, you know, we've seen a ton of negativity on the Peristyle over at uscfootball.com, there's a lot of uh, people that think Lincoln Riley's a terrible head coach in the chat and everything, and uh, he's got $10 million a year. Why are we spending this money on him? I feel like when Lincoln Riley got hired, there were certain people that were like, that's not the kind of style, that's not the style of football that I want, and so they were hoping that things went poorly. I think that there is a little bit of a lack of perspective, though, from some a portion of the fan base, and what you have to realize, maybe you forget what it was like. I think fans are remembering what it was like to just bitch about the coaching staff and the football team. They remember that, and they can do that very well, and you're, you're seeing it right now. But you remember how this team was not relevant. It was not nationally relevant um, with Clay Helton as the head coach. They weren't talking about you on college game day or big noon kickoff. It just didn't really matter they weren't fighting for conference championships or playoff berths. They weren't getting big out-of-conference wins. They just, it didn't matter. This was not a nationally relevant team. And you go from 4-8 and eight to, even if they didn't win 11 games last year, the fact that they were nationally relevant in one year, that quick of a turnaround, is something I think you're like, okay, that's, that's what you want when you go hire a big, splashy name head coach. No one ever done that in, you know, 30 years or whatever, going from one blue blood program to another. And that's what Lincoln Riley did. USC made national headlines by doing that. They won the freaking Heisman Trophy. USC fans love Heisman Trophies. You got one in year one from Caleb Williams. Still a potential to win another one. It doesn't look as likely now, but USC's never been to a college football playoff, and they were like this close to making one last year. You don't want to see regression from year one to year two. And there's certainly potential for that. Um, and, you know, I get it. But I feel like losing sight of some of the, what is Lincoln Riley's resume as a 40-year-old head coach who's accomplished way more than like Nick Saban did when he was at this point of his career. He's got a long time ahead of him to grow as a head coach. This isn't a finished product. He's made four college football, I mean, uh, four won four conference championships, two college football playoff appearances, won three Heisman trophies, and he's only been head coach for seven, eight years. I feel like if you're really out on Lincoln Riley, I'm not sure what to tell you. Maybe it's not the long-term solution for USC. I think it is. I think he is. I think he can be a lot better as a head coach too. But it's kind of baffling to me to see people just like abandoning this when he's so young and has such a good resume and can grow as a coach, but I feel like people are just sort of like, oh, I hate this. This they're bad. They had one bad game. Fire everybody. I, I'm I don't know. I'm I'm not getting it, guys. Are you you guys seeing that too? Yeah, I saw a lot of that 
the last night or when we left South Bend, I saw a lot of people in my mentions, you know, you tweet out something and then the sniping goes back and forth between fan bases. I saw a lot of like fire Lincoln Riley. He's not, he's not a head coach material. He can't recruit. You saw, I saw a lot of that and it was just like very puzzling to me. Like I don't, I don't understand it after one bad game. And I think a lot of it is that he's, uh, He's having uh, you you mentioned the uh, the uh, what what is the word I'm I'm blanking on it, taking a step back from 2022 regression regression because he's a victim of his own success in year yeah. one. You know if they had won nine games and not come one win away from making the college football playoff, everyone would be fine with six and one right now. You know you went nine and four the first year after you were terrible in four and eight. That's the worst USC defense I've ever seen. In, in 2021, obviously I haven't covered the team that long, but it was one of the worst events I've ever seen. One of the worst is statistically in program history. And he turned that into uh, 11 wins and nearly made the uh, college football playoff. So the expectations were just astronomical. Fair enough, because, you know, they came one win. You got a guy coming back who's won a Heisman. People feel like this is the window to win a national championship. Let's, let's call it what it is. A lot of people... We're expecting that, wanted that, at least make the college football playoff with number 13 back there. You reloaded. You got more better defensive players. You got, you know, new guys coming on the offensive line. You got a great recruiting class, skill players. You got it all to make a run. No one's been dominating this year in college football, so you feel like it's wide open to take it. And you take this loss, a bad loss, and now it's like burn it all down. You know, I so I, I was just baffled. As someone who covered Clay Helton for many, many years, I was just baffled by the the quick pull of the – and maybe they're just trolls. Maybe there's just a bunch of trolls on Twitter because that's all it is pretty much now. So maybe that's what it is. But obviously the peristyle wasn't very happy. So I don't really know what percentage is actual fans that want Lincoln Riley gone. I don't understand it, and I, I'm just confused. I agree with everything you guys said. I don't understand all the backlash. But what is fair is that for the last four weeks, the team isn't getting better. And you want your team to get better week in and week out, building to something, just improving week by week. And that hasn't happened. And that's a fair criticism of this team. Do I think Lincoln Riley should be fired because they're not getting better? No, but it's a concern. And I did think that they would be better. They're not quite as good as I thought. They have a chance to right the ship. It hasn't looked good, and I, I think the ultimate goal, like I keep saying, I, I don't I don't think they'll get to that college football playoff, but still having a good season is well within this team's reach, and, and the schedule is hard. I look at a that Washington game at home. USC's going to have a real tough time defending Washington, but it's at home. It's probably going to be a night game. It's a sellout. The place is going to be rocking. It's really hard to win on the road, as USC just saw. Washington, they barely beat Oregon at home. And yes, I think both of those teams are in a different class, you just got to take it week by week, and you can't make any grand you know, declarations, proclamations after one week. I guess I'm kind of doing that by saying they won't make the college football playoff, but I, I think my expectations were too high to begin with. I do think, though, they can surprise us down the line. They're not going to surprise us with how bad they play. I think they could surprise us by improving and, and winning a game maybe we didn't think they could win. I think writing everything off is a mistake. USC fans should be happy about Connor calling them not a college football playoff because he jinxed Stanford. <laughs> he jinxed Colorado and Stammer and they went back and went. So, you know, yeah. you never know. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're still getting people in the chat. He hasn't won a playoff game. They've, they haven't got better the last few weeks. I mean, 
Sure. How many playoffs has USC been to as a as a football program? None. Never been. When's the last time USC won a Heisman? Like he's has he does things very well. And he's going to learn and improve and get right. better. He's going to tinker he's things. 40. Yeah. When you wanted to get rid of Clay Helton so badly, rightfully so, it was at a point where you could almost hire anyone that was somewhat qualified and you would get an improvement. Give me suggestions in the chat. If you if you had the power to fire Lincoln Riley, which sounds stupid to me, but okay, you don't like whatever, who are you going to get that is better? Do you know how many programs would be lining up to get Lincoln Riley as the head coach? Is he perfect? No. Is he, you know, in fact... Everyone's got strengths and weaknesses. I think he's got a ton of strengths as a head coach. He's young, he's just turned 40. And like Connor said, I've said earlier, he's got a long way to go. He's not a finished product. He's done way more than Nick Saban did at this age. So, I mean, just think about stuff like that. Who are you going to go get that's a better head coach than him, you know, right now? It was a home run hire. You know? They did really good things the first year. I, it's just still baffling to me that this is like you'd rather move off of Lincoln Riley. I, I just I, I don't get it. If they didn't get Lincoln Riley, you know who they would have, Matt Campbell. So I, wa I want to go to the alternate universe where we're having the talk about Matt Campbell in the second year in this this game right now. I wonder what it would be like. I wonder how we what we'd be talking about. I wonder what the record would be. I I, I like Matt Campbell as a coach, but I don't think they'd be – 6-0 and going to this game. I just don't get all the criticism either when everyone all year is fire Alex Grinch, the defense isn't good enough, the defense isn't good enough. You eventually do lose a game in week seven, and it's because of your offense. You know <laughs> you know what I mean? It, like, all the fans have been saying, do this, do this, do this, and then they lose, and it's not because of the reason that they thought it was going to be, and now they're even more mad. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Heather says um, she doesn't want to fire him, but... Uh, why are we getting worse and not better? Specifics. That's what Connor said. Yeah, that's a very, I mean, that's a real, that's a legit criticism. That's not a, you know, I think fans are so used to, well, something's not quite right. Fire the head coach. And it's like, this is not the, the, the solution for this is not fire the head coach. Should he get a special teams coordinator? I think so. I mean, they, maybe they'll look at other coaches and defensive coordinator, all that kind of stuff. But this is someone that's, at the top of his game that's done a really lot of good things that has a great resume for not being a head coach all that long. The, the answer isn't fire Lincoln Riley. Uh, but yes, there's legit criticisms. You have a bad stretch of games in the middle. Are you going to remember that if they win the rest of their games and go to, and win the PAC 12 and make the play? No. Does it seem as likely because they've had a bad stretch of games? Also no, but they are capable of going out and winning a bunch more from here. So I get it. I think it's a real criticism that they haven't got better and they've looked worse. And I thought they'd look a lot better against Arizona at home. Turns out Arizona's pretty good. Notre Dame's pretty good. They held, you know, they held the Ohio State offense down. Um, but Ohio State didn't turn the ball over the way USC did. That was really the difference in this one. I do think while it hasn't been close to, to perfect in other programs, fans from other programs, they might say maybe for their standards, it hasn't been good. But I do think the last six quarters – and I'll even include the overtimes against Arizona. That those defensive performances have there been some issues? Yes, but it's it's maybe slowly trending in the right direction. And 
Utah, they've struggled on offense. I, I think your defense has a chance here to – everyone's been saying, you know, where, where, what's going on with the defense? We need to see changes. We need to see changes. I, I think you have a chance here against Utah to put together a second good defensive performance in a row and, and start to build something a little bit, and then you just have to hope the offense gets better, and I think it will. So people are saying, why are they getting worse every week? Why are they getting worse every week? They certainly haven't been getting better every week, and that's a problem. But where everyone thought that they would be getting so much worse was defensively and kind of quietly that it's been the defense that's been doing okay, and you just need to rely on an offensive turnaround. And here, here's what I think is going to happen. They're going to stop changing the play at the line so much because clearly the offensive line, I think, that's a big issue for them. Going to get the play, and they're going to run the play. I expect the receivers to, to bounce back a little bit. I think they are determined to split times with Mark split time with Marshawn Lloyd and Austin Jones. I think they're just going to be a cleaner operation and quicker and just go out there and try to simplify it a little bit. And I do think the offense will get better. And you just have to hope that the defense continues to trend in the right direction as well. And I think that this staff, for as much as we've killed them, they've earned a little bit more respect than I think a lot of fans are giving them. Can we talk about the offensive line right now? Yes. Yeah, let's do it. Because that's, that's a big part of the reason that you're in the position you're in. Yeah, because that feels like the whole key to everything yep. kind of being slowly deteriorating or getting worse on offense is that your offensive line is just not played up to the standard that us US fans and we as media thought they would be or play up to because you know on paper you're looking at the offensive line like this is a really good unit you have an all Pac-12 guy in Jonah Monheim former number 1 center prospect and Justin Didich who can play interior. You have a fresh former freshman All-American and Emmanuel Pregnon. You have a, a, a seasoned left tackle and turned guard and Jarrett Kingston. You have Michael Tarkin when he started a bunch of games in the SEC. Right there, that's a really good offensive line, but it just hasn't been it. They've really struggled. They've been very Dr. Jekyll and High. You know, they're, they have stretches where everything looks good and then something just happens and boom, they look awful and things get really bad and Caleb was under duress against Notre Dame you know some of those throws were a bad decision by him but also there was some time where he's under pressure and he's throwing off his back foot again those go back to mechanics and everything but he did get sacked eight times in that game and they gave up a lot of pressure on him and the run game could not get anything going consistently consistently consistent so we're seeing you know I wrote about in the war room going into the season you know there were some rumors out of murmurs out of camp not rumors because that's what was being seen, that maybe the offensive line isn't as good mm -hmm. as we thought it would be. It, some, and we're, we're seeing that now in the middle of the season. We're seeing it really come to a head. We're also seeing, you know, losing Gino Quinones yep, for the year. Massive. It, he, he would be starting over Emmanuel Pregnone. He would he absolutely be starting. You're seeing how big that loss. It's reverberating through the entire season uh, right now. And you're – you're seeing the the out fallout of not getting a second experience offensive tackle that you can throw in because right now the right tackle situation is really, really iffy with Tarquin and, and Murphy, who's Murphy's playing better than Tarquin. I don't think I saw Tarquin in no. after that. that M debacle. Murphy's going to start, I think, the rest of the way. Yeah, I think he's going to start the rest of the way. But even he still has his warts. So you would have loved to have another experienced guy you can maybe throw in there. And then if you still lost, you know, you know Mason Murphy, Gerard has talked about – he thinks he's better or he could be a good guard prospect and maybe you try him out there. I don't know what you do to fix the line because they don't have a ton of options. You got to Elijah Page is not ready to step in as a tackle. You know, Alani Noah has a start under his belt and some playing time, but he's not ready to go against Utah. You're in a bad spot in terms of 
you know, what you have in the depth. Do you start killing O'Connor and shift Dietrich back to guard? I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do. That's not my my job. That's Henson. He's probably up late night trying to figure out what to do. But, you know, losing Quinones has been a huge, huge blow. We knew it was going to be a blow, and we're seeing right now why it's a huge blow. So, you know, there was just some really, really bad play from the offensive line. And they have the talent to be good. I just I just don't understand why it's not coming together. I, I know we don't want to spend too much time on the offensive line, but I think you're, you're absolutely right with that. I think we'll see Mason Murphy play a lot more now. And if Michael Tarquin was playing better, then you could potentially move Mason Murphy inside. And if Emmanuel Pregnon had to sit down for a little bit and get his act together, then he, he could be allowed some, some time to get better. And instead, he's just been kind of thrown into the fire with Gino Quinones coming out. The Killian O'Connor idea, I don't think they trust him a ton right now, but I think that makes sense, Chris, potentially, because you're getting hammered so much inside at, at that left guard spot. So they will make changes because they have no choice. You can't field an offensive line that was as bad as it was the other night. And that's another reason to, I, I don't know about optimistic being the right word, but that's another reason to to think that they potentially could be better because they have to make changes based on what they put on tape last week. All right. Uh, we got a lot of questions and stuff. I think I think we've got a little more calmness uh, coming in, which is good. Um, you don't have to be happy. Obviously, it was a terrible performance. But you We're don't not need saying to, be happy. We're not you saying be happy. You don't need to like overreact and say, I mean, there's some stuff. Okay, that's fine. You, you have, we, like, you know, we love that everyone has their own opinions and stuff. But we just try to kind of bring it back down to earth a little bit, too. Um, we have calls and we have a bunch of uh, questions we want to get to. So why don't we start off uh, with a caller. Our first one is up here. Let's see. Caller, you are on Tunnel Vision. Thanks for joining us. Uh, what's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, Ryan. It's uh, Steve from L.A. Hey, Steve. Hey, Steve. Hey. Uh, first time, long time. Uh Thanks for taking a call. Um, yeah, so I, I really, I guess, wanted to say that I, I just feel like the coaches haven't been able to get the players to play as a team and also play up to potential. And so, for example, I mean, the, the last couple of weeks, you know, the team has come out flat uh, to start the game. If you look back, if you uh, pull, pull the time frame back, uh, you know, after a dominating first half, uh, they come out flat in the second half. Um, second point I want to make is receivers seem to have a problem trying to get open, um, especially against skilled DBs, you know, not, not counting the Nevadas and, and the Stanford's of the world, unless the, the play is breaking down and the DB needs to cover for eight seconds, which is almost impossible. Um, but yeah, I, I just, I don't know what it is about, about, uh, the coaches not being, able to get the, the players to play up to, to their massive talent. Well, thanks, thanks for the call. Appreciate that. We'll get the guys. What, what do you guys think? I think he's right in terms of they're not playing. We just talked about the offensive line not playing up to their their talent. And, yeah, they just seem disjointed in the sense that they're not playing on the same page at the same time all the time because we've been talking about how the defense came to play in South Bend, but, you know, the offense didn't come to play. Didn't come to play. Same thing with Arizona. Offense didn't come to play early. Defense kept them around, kept them around until they finally got going. You know, outside of that Colorado first half, you really haven't seen them come together as a unit and play as one unit, one fist, as it were. Yeah, I don't understand the, the slow starts either. Maybe a little bit 
against Arizona specifically, they thought, you know, it's Arizona. They're having a Drop good game. year, but we're, we're, we're better than them and we can just do what we do and we'll be okay. And they kind of got punched in the mouth against Notre Dame. Caleb Williams just threw that pick on the, the first series and then USC was in trouble. So yeah, they've certainly had a problem coming out flat and what Chris said earlier is totally true. If you have a problem coming out flat against Utah, then the season is probably lost and we'll be having a totally different conversation next week. So I think this week is massive in terms of seeing how this team starts and if they're ever lulled to sleep like they were in the second half against Colorado. They need to be fully mentally in this game this week because of what happened last year the whole way. And they've talked all about playing a full 60-minute game. We, we need to see more of that. So the only thing I can say on that is I'm not exactly sure why it's been happening, but if it happens this week, continue to be concerned. As for the receivers not being able to get open, man coverage has killed them the last couple of weeks, and that's been a big surprise. I expect Riley to tinker with the offense, maybe run some pick plays, get guys open, do what you do against man coverage, whereas zone, you just kind of find the soft spot. And Notre Dame did some of that as well, but the man coverage has particularly been bothering the USC receivers, and I think that they'll opt to make some changes on that and just kind of tinker with how they do some of the routes because – They've shown, they put on tape that man can beat them, and I think now they're going to adapt. Yeah. I know he just came back from injury, but I want to see more some some deep shots of Zachariah Branch. Oh, yeah. Use that speed. And don't be afraid to maybe get some other guy, like a Deuce Robinson or even someone else involved. Uh, I think he rated pretty highly on, on PFF, but Mario Williams I didn't think was particularly good, and I'm just kind of waiting for him to have some big breakout performance, and it hasn't happened yet. I, I wonder if his seat's getting a little hot. All right. Uh, let's see. We have Coach, I mean, Dr. K uh, in the queue here. Hey, Dr. K. Thank you. Welcome to the show. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, Ryan. First, I would like to say that you mentioned this, I don't know if it was a couple weeks ago, it could have been last year, about enjoying the moment. Now, obviously, it was very difficult last night. They are 17 and four out of 21 games. But we've been watching USC football since 2010 when our son enrolled. And we have not missed a game. We've enjoyed it immensely. But they made it, they made a comment, um, last night about the Notre Dame fans that they're going to remember that moment. And I like to look at the students' perspective because we always watch the students and they're having a blast. And when our student was there during the not so great years, they beat Stanford in 2013. He got on the field, 20,000 people, and he'll never forget that. We were screaming and yelling. So really enjoyed the moment. So I just wanted to uh, bring that up that, you know, 17 and four. But, but the question I have for you is, and Chris kind of brought this up somewhat about coaching up. Uh, and Chris, with your experience of being a uh, coach years and years ago, maybe this could apply to your Ryan or 
uh, Connor, if you know of any situation like this, where a player just can't be coached up. You've done everything you could. You do have good coaches. The coaches get, you know, hit pretty hard, uh, but they've done really well uh, for quite some time. But if, if there are instances where, yeah, that player just, uh, we've done everything we can, and he just can't be coached up. So thanks. Appreciate all your Thanks, Dr. Points. K. I think Chris tried his best to coach up Caleb Williams. This didn't work. <laughs> he just, you know, he said, hey, he's not a good enough athlete. I can't do this. Obviously, that does happen when you get into instances where, you know, everything you try doesn't work. But you also, as a coach, you try to get, you, you try to avoid that by bringing in the right kind of player or guy that you want to coach. So you, when you're in the recruiting process, out of the transfer portal, they try to bring in guys that are good fit for locker rooms and they know that are coachable. That's why it's always, you know, one of the first things they ask their high school coach, like, is he coachable? Is he, is he a prima donna? Well, like, what's the deal? So that's kind of like the first barrier to getting to setting up where you don't bring a player in who's not going to be coached up and just doesn't want to listen or, or anything like that. I don't think that's the case. I just, I just don't know what the disconnect is. Yeah. I wish he was still on Dr. K and thanks for the call who specifically he was talking about, whether maybe it was, we've been talking about the offensive line, maybe some offensive linemen aren't getting some stuff. I would want to know which position group or which player he was thinking of specifically, because I think it's tough to kind of generalize about guys not being able to get coached up unless we're talking about someone specific. We do have a, a question. Uh, Paul says, Chris was a coach, and I don't know if you guys don't know. I mean, I didn't know. What'd you coach? This, wait, wait, you know this one, right? <laughs> I don't know anything. Uh, so we used to have a picture of this. Like for the, Chris is the king of the bits, right? He does yeah. a lot of bits. I knew that. He <laughs> literally was Caleb Williams' swim coach back in the DMV. Oh, really? How did I know When know he was that? a kid. Oh, I thought you were doing a bit. No. I, I'm, I'm <laughs> you haven't heard that either. No. no. Chris literally coached Caleb Williams. How old were you at the time? Uh, me? Yeah. I was probably like a sophomore in college. Okay. And he was like. 10 or something? Uh, 11, 10, something like okay. that. Okay, yeah. Wow. So like that, that's like a, a legit We have the photo at, at somewhere. I need to find the photo, but uh, yeah, that's like a legit thing. So that's uh, <laughs> that was what Dr. K was kind of referring okay, to. Okay, I, I wasn't sure. Wow. We keep getting these calls. Uh, we got a lot of calls. Okay, we'll try to go through <laughs> these calls. Please, all the callers, I'm going to try to get to all of them because we keep filling up the queue. Keep them short. But we got to keep them short. So get to your point real quick. Uh, next up, it looks like Jason is uh, in there. Hey, Jason, what's up? Hey, Jason from Japan here. I'm just curious, uh, do you guys think, hypothetically, that if we didn't have the bye week and that momentum kept going, that we would be a better-looking team right now? Or did something happen during that week that just kind of snapped everyone's focus? Thanks. That's a great call, Jason. Quick, thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, we've People were in the chat about this, too. Like, did something happen? It's a weird bye week because USC had a week zero game. Uh, it's going to be nine straight weeks of, of football. But do you guys feel anything weird happened in the bye week? Josh Henson mentioned how it wasn't an ideal time, and that was kind of the first time a coach had said that. Usually Lincoln Riley would just say pros and cons, and players would say whatever. But Josh Henson talked about how it wasn't a good time for, for his offensive line. As for something happening, I can't speak to that. I haven't heard anything. Um, but I, I think for sure it, it, it didn't help just based on what happened before and after. Also, though, how many games have they played now since the bye? That that excuse is getting old because you you either have it or you don't. And, and now, what, four games in a row, I think? They haven't looked particularly good. So 
maybe that was an excuse for a few of them, but you, you're kind of running out of time with that excuse, in my opinion. If anything, it would it would feel like it, maybe it's momentum. You you stop so early when you're so early in the season. I asked players about that. Like, are you guys worried about you know getting on a roll and then having to stop and you know kind of not get rusty, but like you take a week off. You know, you're you're in a you're in a rhythm and all that. They they downplay that, but that would be my only thing. Like maybe they were uh, they they just. You know they were on a roll, then they had to stop, and then they had to get going again. But you're right; it's it's been many games since that, so there, there's no excuse as to why you know a early bye week should affect their their timing or what. And he, did he say Japan? Yeah, did he say Japan? Uh, I don't know. I heard Japan. That that's very cool. Internet, that'd be awesome. If he's listening, please tell me if that was Japan. Or yeah, not. if you're putting if you're in the chat on YouTube, uh, let us know. I'm going to Google what time it, it is in Japan. I know. Uh, hey. Connor, your buddy, Dave in Iowa, called in. Dave. Dave, not the king of keeping it short, but we're going to ask him to do it. Hey, what's up, Dave? Hey, guys. Dave from Iowa. So I'm just curious. After it appears we whiffed on a couple of transfers this season in terms of the in terms of the offensive line, what's the plan for high school recruiting in terms of making that the main priority rather than the transfer portal? And to that point as well, it looks like modern day and Bosco, USC, is. there's no pipeline between those two schools and USC anymore in terms of this year's recruiting class. What's your take on that? Thanks, Dave. It that all was quick. That was very good, it, Dave. That was a record. He's kicking that ass. Must, that's be... <laughs> I love it. Oh, and uh, Jason says, yes, Japan. He's in Japan. It's, uh, it's about to be noon over there, so shout out to Japan. That's awesome. Um, in terms of the questions... I he Dave from Iowa took your coaching Ryan he said keep it short he did it so I'm uh, saying, shout he, out he look, look improvement I, improvement look at that look at that uh, in terms of recruiting offensive linemen in general USC you know is not paying high school players they're, that's their thing they're not doing that so unless that philosophy changes you're not going to see see those results you know you're, you're gonna have to recruit the old fashioned way. And recruit with the USC diploma, what it has to offer. And then, look, we have great NIL when you sign and get on campus and, and all that stuff. But they're not going to, uh, quote, unquote, pay to play in terms of how some other schools across the country are doing. They're not They're not going to do that. It's not their strategy. And in terms of Bosco and Modern Day, you know, Modern Day seems to have more of a NIL feel to them and their players. They're, they're big-time players. While Bosco is – I think it's more about development. You know, I've talked to coaches over there like – yeah, we're going to send a, a Bosco kid there, but like, where's the development? They've never known. Bosco is a relatively new power. They've never known, you know, USC's Pete Carroll's. They, they didn't come up with those kids. They didn't come up. That program wasn't rocking. They weren't there recruiting there. So they only know Clay Helton, really. They only know that that era. So, and it wasn't a good era. So, you know, they don't have that, that idea of what USC can be. And that's something we talk about on the composite a lot because we do get yeah. the modern day Bosco question a lot. Make sure you check that two composite two star. Do you want to show them the merch? I don't. That's that's top secret. That's oh. a sample. That's not yet. I was I was thinking about teasing it, but I'm not. I just I just have proof that we have some merch. I still have the test sample, but I'm not ready to drop it yet. Hey, you guys know what this means? Oh, is that money bags? We get no. We got a super oh. chat um, from Vicky. Thank you very much for the super chat on YouTube. Uh, she says poor coaching, poor leadership, based on the play so far against unranked opponents. And not getting better week to week, the writing is on the wall. So not a question. She just I, wanted. To hear, she just wanted her opinion to get right. on the air. And Ryan, not. Uh, she's. I mean, there's a lot of people that feel the same way that they haven't looked very good, 
then you play a good team and you really stink it up, get it. I still feel, I mean, we, we saw this team play really well in stretches and I still think they can. I'm not as optimistic as I was. I was, I was more, I'm terrible at picking this team this year. Uh, I've been like, yeah, they're going to cover the spread. No, no. The one time I thought they wouldn't cover the spread was Stanford and they, they blew the spread away. Um, but I would say I I still feel like there's potential here to do it. If they if they come out flat against Utah, I think it's going to be a real problem. I, I agree with these guys when they're talking about that. It's uh, this is a big game. This Utah game. I agree. The writing being on the wall. It goes back to what I said earlier. It's been on the wall that it's not a college football playoff team. It's unfortunate. I, I thought they had that potential. It's it's not a championship team. But who is in a second year of a new coach going? to the college football playoff was Sonny Dykes a second year coach last year at TCU. Maybe there is a prime example, but it's rare. It doesn't happen often. It took Kirby smart a long time. It took Jim Harbaugh a long time. It's tough to, to get in in that second year. And while I did think it could happen quicker with USC and things aren't going in the right direction right now, pump the brakes a little bit. Yeah. It was a, never mind though. This is the second year right now. <laughs> it was his first year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it was his first year. Jeez. So you're saying sophomore slump yeah. is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. And wow, what, what a fail by they're Lincoln four and three Riley right. They're 4-3 and three right now at TCU. And so, someone said earlier, like, uh, Nick Saban won a championship in year two. I'm like, he was also, like, you know, 58 years old and had coached at a whole bunch of other places. And, you know, it's 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 a different thing. He's a young head coach. Like, I think he's doing a, you know, for his age, like, he's accomplished more than almost anybody. So, um yeah, I don't know. Pretty impressive. If it keeps going this way, though, and they lose to Utah or Cal, one of those two, then my tune is totally going to change. All right. We got one more uh, call about recruiting, and this is John. Hey, John, thanks for calling in. Hey, listen, uh, you guys pretty much answered my question on the recruiting, so I'm going to ask you something else. Okay. I'm, I'm just wanna, I just want to ask uh, just real quick. I was encouraged last night because uh, I live in Big Ten country, even though I am, I am, I love the Trojans. Um, a lot of the, the, the what you saw last night is what you're going to see when we actually come to the Big Ten. A lot of the offenses are very vanilla. The, Nick, the Big Ten schools, the games are very boring. And people here get mad at me when I say that, but they are. But it's, the thing about it, if we don't turn the ball over, this is what we got to learn. We ain't turn the ball over last night. We were easily would have won that game. But a lot of the, a lot of, that, no, that Notre Dame offense I saw last night, a lot of the Big Ten schools are really – that way, so I, I I was a little encouraged by that, and I, I think we can play in this conference. The Pac-12 is just to me, it's just it's just too many offenses, and you never know from week to week to week. Like you guys were saying, you just never ever know. So I was kind of encouraged about that. I, I, that's just me. Maybe people might look at that and say weird, but that's just me, fellas. Thanks for the call. No, I think it's a great call. Look at the Big Ten West uh, with with Iowa and Wisconsin and. Illinois and Mar do I have it wrong? Do I have the divisions wrong? No, I was gonna like they're six and one and they can't score a point. Like they <laughs> threw like twenty three yards of passing and they're gonna win. They're gonna go to Indianapolis and play like Michigan or Ohio State. Yeah, okay. Absolutely so, boat race. So, so the West Division, Iowa terrible on offense. Wisconsin decent offense. Minnesota terrible on offense. They're playing Iowa. I think the over under is like thirty two and a half. Nebraska terrible on offense. Northwestern just terrible. Illinois just terrible. Purdue Graham Harrell terrible on offense. It's a lot of <laughs> offensive teams that aren't very good. I, I think that's a great point. Of course, Michigan, Ohio State, and even Penn State this year, those offenses are good. But 
the, the Pac-12 blows these teams away in terms of offense, and college football can change year to year with the transfer portal, but if USC was in the Big Ten this year, I, I don't know exactly how that would change their ceiling, but their offense would be maybe the best in the whole conference. It's certainly interesting to look at the Pac-12 this year with all those talented quarterbacks. It, it's night and day, and I think that's a great point by the caller. Okay. We're getting all these comparisons. Sonny Dykes uh... – Took TC the championship in year one. There's, they played in a bad league. They played a bad league. They got, I mean, oh my god! Like they did beat Michigan though. That, that they beat Michigan, credit, who played they, them. two pick sixes. Like then they got absolutely boat raced. Like and he's been a head coach before. Like I mean, you're gonna find someone that someone did something better than Lincoln Riley. Okay, like I mean, he's done great things. You can say a lot of stuff. Like no one's won three Heisman's in five years or whatever it was he's done. Like I mean, I, I get it. But holy cow, I think we need to pump the brakes a little bit on some of this stuff. Uh, we got one more call. We keep getting these calls, which is great. Uh, Joey. What's up, Joey? How you doing? Joey. Doing well. How are you guys? Good, thanks. Um, calling, calling to ask about what you guys think of these rumors. Uh, I don't know if you touched on this. I, I just turned the show on. But, you know, uh, about Liga Rada going to the NFL – um, you know, I was listening to the, his Graham, uh, Bellinger, I think the guy's last name is, his little hour long interview. And one thing that really stuck out to me was, um, his love for his family, wanting to be a father, wanting to be a husband. And that's very, um, I admire that a lot, you know, and I just see like the chargers calling him saying, Hey, we got a future hall of fame quarterback, um, probably future hall of fame D end. You don't have to move your family. We'll give you a helicopter to land right on the tennis court there. You know, what do you guys think of if, if they were to offer him that? Do you think, you know, that he would? Because, I mean, think about it. You work 48 weeks in a year for college, and then he'd work 25 weeks or 30 weeks in the NFL. He'd get to be there for his family. Do you think he would do that? Thanks, Joey, for the call there. Um, I'll, real quick. I think he likes the lifestyle of where he is now. Um, he was a big fish in a small pond in Norman. Here he can kind of be more anonymous. You know, there's just, he can go to restaurants and a lot of people don't know who he is. I don't, and I think he loves Southern California. I think his kids love it. I think, you know, living in PV and all that. Maybe if it was the Chargers or something, but this is the funny thing for me, guys, is there's like people that are like, oh, he's going to leave for the NFL. And there's other people who are like, we want him out of here. <laughs> like, oh my God, he might leave for the NFL. And then the other people are like, why is, what, you know, why is he still around? It's it's like the two extremes. It's, it's just kind of funny. People don't want to hear it because these coaches get paid so much. But with the transfer portal, that really does cut into how much time off a head coach can get. It's now more than ever a full year-round gig being a power five, like big-time college football coach. So I, I – Definitely hear what Lincoln Riley's saying. He also wrote, or he also said in the LA Times, and they wrote about it, similar thoughts. I do wonder. And I, I, you know, someone would have to go to him and say, hey, you know, in the NFL, someone would have to make that move. But with the way things are trending with offenses in the NFL, I don't think that's out of the question. And they could pay him a little bit more than USC. Is that something that would be enticing to him? I think he'd at least have to think about it. Would he do it or not? I, I don't know. I think he does have goals that he wants to accomplish in college, and he said he wants to hopefully be retired by 50, although in the LA Times article he said, I was just saying that maybe I'll coach till I'm 65. But I do think he has a relatively short shelf life compared to other people. He has a lot he wants to accomplish. I think if an NFL team approached him, 
he would think about it, and I don't really blame him for doing that. Would he ultimately do it? That's for him to decide, but I think he'd think about it. I don't think it would be an instant no, no. I I also think about it a little bit because, you know, you would cut out recruiting because that's obviously takes up a lot of your time. I think he would, if he was interested in doing it, I think it would have to come with, like, uh, GM responsibilities or whatever. Oh, you think so? Well, you you just have, like, your final say is the say. You know, you need that, uh, that overarching power of, like control of the roster and all that and not really share it with the GM. You have those. I think the the deals have come out and or some coaches have gotten that their way in that in that regard. And but I do wonder because he also obviously is very I don't want to say paranoid, but like with the practice availabilities in NFL, you get in NFL media, they get to watch entire practices. You have to get practice reports. You you're not hiding anything yeah. when it comes to the NFLs. You have to put all that out there. Uh, so I do wonder if that's also a deterrent. I also wonder, obviously, Cliff Kingsbury's on his roster, and you know he's a guy, an offensive guy who went, who made the jump to the NFL, and you know it was good for a little bit, and then it flamed out. I wonder if he's, you know, giving him honest advice about it, like, hey, this is the struggles I had when I was you doing think it. You do, but you don't. Yeah, so I don't know. Just obviously, that's a guy you can like lean on, and a guy who has done that so i wonder if that's also something that's in his ear whether that's saying maybe we'll think about it or you know maybe let's stick yeah. to college for a little bit he makes more than a lot of nfl head coaches already so there's that too like an nfl they would have to want him and then pay him more than the going rate so it, it and, does it does make sense though just give him an experienced defensive coordinator and let him handle the defense and lincoln riley handles the offense only and of course you know oversees some head coaching stuff but Give him a coordinator, special teams. He probably wouldn't have to worry about as much. Just let him do offense. How could you say no to that? All right. We got a lot of questions I've starred in the chat. So I'm going to try to go through them. We have to rapid fire these. Let's do it. All Let's right. Here it. we go. First up, Mike on Facebook. How hard is it going to be to get the team looking up again instead of hanging their heads? We got Utah coming in. So pretty easy. Yeah. You sell it to him like this. Everything is still in front of you. We didn't lose a league game. Well, I think... You know, morale won't be as high as it was maybe a couple of weeks ago. Everything is still in front of them, even though the expectations and the ceiling is a little bit different now than it was. This yeah. is your get back game. Uh, for sure. Beck on YouTube says, when USC's history is run, why are we still doing air raid? First of all, it's not an air raid. It's, it's just, I mean, they run the ball a lot because college football's changed. This isn't student body left, student body right anymore. That is why. It's this is modern college football offense. USC's not doing anything crazy. They're doing what everyone does. Everyone plays nickel now. No one played nickel then. It's very different. Uh Dusty says, "We need five transfer portal offensive linemen." Didich has been disappointing as has the rest of the group. Uh do you guys think we won't lose four games this year? Ducky, I don't think we're going to lose four games this year. You're going to, like I don't think USC is losing four games, but you, yeah the the offensive line we already talked about they've been a little disappointing. Yep. Um. Cool. Okay. Well, that's that's very rapid fire. That was that was the most rapid fire he could. He could I like be. it, Earl. Uh, how do we fix the issues with the offensive line? Again, we kind of talked about that. I don't really know because you don't really have the options to do that. If you had Gino, I assume he's going to be starting. Mason looks like he's going to be the starter moving forward, but you know that that guard spot is is the big like we got to fix this or, or do something with it. Whether that's moving people around, I don't know. I think simplify the offense a little bit too. 
get the play in. Whatever the play is, run it. Unless there's an obvious thing that you need to change. Don't do the check with me's. I know that's a major part of the offense, but it looks like the offensive line gets a little bit confused sometimes. And then they have this one play in mind. It gets changed. Everyone isn't on the same page and it leads to trouble. Simplify things. And I think that can help this group a lot because individually, all these guys have a lot of potential playing together though. Just haven't seen it yet. Yeah. I would like the simplification too. I want to see, it just seems like there's too much stuff at the line. Just call a play and run it. And I think you'll be better off. They just seem to get screwed up when they don't do that. Uh, Lynn had a question. Uh, the job of the head coach is to build team morale, not deteriorate it. Why is he not doing what he was hired to do? He's not deteriorating the morale. Yeah, if anything, he's kind of BSing after these games and saying <laughs> a lot of like positive things. He's, he's not deteriorating the morale at all. He, he's stuck up for his team. He defended his record. He defended his quarterback after Notre Dame. I don't get the question. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, let's go to John on YouTube. I understand that NIL is the reality now, but do you think uh, it can has become a distraction uh, for most sought after players? For example, uh, Caleb Williams. And like someone made a comment earlier too about what's his like commercial shooting schedule and stuff. All those athletes do this in the offseason. They shoot all that stuff. I don't, but do you feel like NIL is a distraction for Caleb Williams? It's possible. I, I, I don't think it is with him. It, it's possible with anyone. But I think the transfer portal and NIL have made college football way better. And it's a reason why viewership is up massively year over year this year compared to, to other years. Guys are sticking around longer. They can move around to where they have a better chance to play. It, it's just there, there's more freedom for these guys. And it's awesome to see. I, I don't think it's a big distraction with Caleb. And you know, if it is a little bit, I, I think he has the the wherewithal to, to get that figured out. And, and I have a, a lot of uh, respect for Caleb Williams. And it, I haven't, it hasn't seemed to me like it's a bad distraction yeah. at all. Yeah, I think above all, he wants to win. He's a competitor. He wants to win. That's why he was yeah. so upset. That's why he was so upset. Yeah. Every time we see a Wendy's commercial, he didn't just do that. That was done months before. Just, just. Uh, yeah, he's not missing Tuesday practice to shoot a Heisman house. That's no, what we're saying. <laughs> Feedy, uh, the question: uh, How bad it will recruiting be uh, if USC gets more losses? Um, I believe they are eighteen right now. It doesn't. Your, your recruiting does not follow like fan um, moods, so it's more about the future than than right now so gerard likes to say this that recruits view games way differently than I mean, fans way do. differently. like all the guys you will talk to about the arizona game like that was the most exciting game i've ever seen while the fans were like i want to kill everyone <laughs> <laughs> i i do think the wins and the losses yeah they won't really determine too much with recruiting if oregon goes on to have this great class and usc stays in the low teens does that start to get them thinking about, okay, you know, we're really trying to take the moral high ground here. We're doing what we think is right, but we can't keep getting killed like this. It's just not working out the way we envisioned it was working out. Then they decide to make a change with NIL and high school players because if it ends the way it is right now, I, I don't know how you don't at least think about making a change. Uh, Mike on Facebook had a question. Does the offense do better with the hurry up tempo or do we need, or do we do better with the slower tempo? I know you think they do better slower. Right? I think it's slower. Like, I feel like they rush when they shouldn't rush. Like, they get a big play, and then they rush to the line, and they get, like, a false start or something, or they just get stuffed at the line. And then when, like, some of the time-sensitive drives late in Notre Dame, they were 
going too slow and taking their time and making too many calls. So, I, I mean, that's just me, but I don't know if you guys have any thoughts. I just want it to look cleaner overall, whether it's fast or slow. I, I, I agree. After the big play, I don't think it really makes a ton of sense to go fast. You already have the defense on its heels. Why do you got to yeah. do that? There have been times where it has looked good going fast, but if simpler is what we're all looking for, and it sounds like we are, I think going a little slower could help them. Yeah. Uh, Lisa, Lisa said, um, it was great seeing Ryan shotgun, Chris and Jack at theory, uh, Friday night. That was in Chicago. We had a little meetup. I had no idea that was going to be the highlight of my trip. <laughs> thanks guys. It was fun hanging out and chatting with you all. Well, thanks Lisa. It was good to see you too. I was going to say, I should have known based on the turnout that we had and how much fun we had at the meetup that this was going to go badly because the last <laughs> time we had a great turnout and it's super fun. It was Vegas. And they got whooped in the Pac-12 championship game. So that's true. I'm people need to stop showing up. I'm seeing these. a correlation <laughs> in how amazing and how much people come out to a, a meetup before a big game. Yeah, and then it, it all going the to heck at the end. So the I'm, seeing a, one, I'm seeing correlation. Yeah, the I'm Texas one was our biggest one, and that was a, that wasn't that didn't go well either. So. Colorado was was packed, but and they almost lost it too. So it was like it <laughs> yeah. kind of was reaching that 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 threshold for the uh the point of no return but this was a great meal like we had well over 100 people show up for this one flag you know sc flag outside like people had a great time so it was great to see you lisa and everyone else chanting your name ryan got chanting my name when i came into the bar <laughs> which is funny uh we had a good time with it thanks everyone that came out for that hopefully you can meet you guys in portland or something too orion uh, any concern about the offense going forward the last two and a half games in regulation the offense is average uh, averaging under 25 points per game. Question was for you, right? Yeah, that was question for you. Oh, is it for me? It said Ryan. No, it says Orion is his name. Oh. Uh, I was wondering why you said it kind of weird. Uh, <laughs> I mean, what I said earlier, like, yeah, I'm concerned about the past, but I think that if this group can't turn it around, who can? Yeah. Uh, along those same lines, JLBC, does the I'm offense look predictable to you? GLBC, not J. Sorry. Oh, oh, stop faking us out, man. <laughs> I'm screwing it up. I don't think it looks predictable. I, I think Notre Dame was so disciplined in everything that Caleb tried to do. They just kept them in the pocket. And remember how bad USC was at keeping Shadur Sanders in the pocket in the second half? They did the opposite of what USC did in that game. So I, I didn't think it was predictable. I was kind of in the box watching like, oh, okay, what are they going to do here? What are they going to do here? I just think Notre Dame was really good. Yeah. Again, three picks also makes any offense look predictable. Yeah. Um, all right. We had a bye week question. I think we already went through that. Uh, here is Ron Burgundy. Ron. What are your guys' thoughts on Wiley's strength and conditioning program? Talk about Benny Wiley. I have no thoughts. It's hard to tell. I mean, he's popular. Seems like he does a good job. But if USC loses a game, then he's got to suck, right? So I don't know. That's what, <laughs> that's what people say. Like, oh, they lost the game. Strength and conditioning sucks. Like, sure. Anytime anyone gets injured, strength and conditioning sucks. They haven't had a lot of injuries, to be fair. Like, Gino Cagnone is out for the year. That's kind of it, right? They haven't really any. Solomon Tulia Pupu, but yeah. he obviously has a history of, and that was before the season, yeah. but he's got a history of a uh, knee injury. So, Super OC Holmes, uh, did using so many combinations not let the offensive line gel together? Did they use two? I think, I think maybe in, in general. You're, you're yeah. in, the, in the the first few games with oh. those combinations. I mean, they still had entire summer and fall camp 
to to gel. So, yeah. I mean, you know, it doesn't. It takes longer than that, but still, I think those guys are all experienced to some extent. So it varies, but I think they had more than enough time to gel. Yeah, I don't know if it was the. I think looking back. When you're trying all those different, you know, oh yeah, Lonnie Noah is going to start or whatever. It's a red flag. I think there there's potential red flags there, right? Like, oh, maybe this isn't as good. Uh, maybe it's not as good as you thought, um, which we thought it was going to be better than it was. Uh, let's see. We got another YouTube one. Uh, what can the coaches do to bring the players together as a team and make them a cohesive unit? It's Arnetta. I think it already happened. Getting punched in the mouth can bring a team closer together. I don't know what else they could do. If you're not going to respond after getting beaten the way you just got beaten, you're in trouble. Or they can watch holes. <laughs> That's an inside joke. Connor, do you want to explain? Sure. Justin Dietrich and Elijah Page were roommates before the Stanford game for the first time, and they watched holes, and they played really well. And then after they were roommates again, and they haven't watched holes since, and the line hasn't played as well. And got to gotta watch holes. Apparently... Page really liked the movie. Yes, and to watch he hadn't it seen it before, and he wants it to makes watch me it feel again. old. Yeah, me that too. makes me feel. But you get a big movie theater, rent it on campus, one on campus. Watch Holes. That's the key. That's the key. Open up the holes on the offensive <laughs> line. Come on, it all works. Holes, holes. Damn holes. it, I solved it. I love it. Uh, a couple more. We'll let you guys go, Steve. Uh, what do you do with the super chat money? And would you rather <laughs> me be a twenty four seven sports subscriber or give the same amount via YouTube super chat? Um, definitely be a subscriber. First of all, that's the, that's, yeah, that's what we want to do. Uh, the super chat's just kind of for fun. Like Lunch we, sometimes. we had a $5 donation, which thank you, Vicky, for that one. Uh, I think YouTube takes like two of the $5. So, you know, you get a few bucks. So no, it's not, that's not really a source of revenue. It's just sort of like a fun thing, uh, which is, it's really nice. So thank you for doing it, but no, just. You want to support? Go be a subscriber. That's where the main support is. Well, when we make like seven hundred dollars for composite two star in our lives, so we get all that money. Well, YouTube takes like you get seven hundred. Yeah, we what? made seven hundred dollars, and YouTube took three hundred of those dollars. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, so that was cool. So I gave it to you guys. It was to wild. Do what you wanted. That was a crazy. That was a crazy live show. And you're gonna come on our recruiting one. Yeah. Cool. Uh, one last one from Keith. Zion Branch getting more reps in the future? I mean, definitely now. <laughs> well, yeah, he was like the the most the best receiver in the game. No, Zion. Oh, oh Zion. I thought I heard Zachariah. Yeah, he looked good out there. And definitely Max Williams gets hurt in the game. If he's not able to play, that opens up a second safety spot next to Kalen Bullock. So Bryson Shaw will probably start, but who will rotate in after that? It's Zion Branch. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, awesome stuff. Whew. There was a lot. We took I think a record number of callers and congrats to all of you callers. Do I have uh, applause anywhere? I think so. Like, um, wow. thank, thank you for, uh, this is so the quick. record number more than like the clay Helton is fired episode. I don't know. We, there's a whole bunch of callers. <laughs> You're just making up stats, man. We, I mean, we had, a, we usually get like three calls and like, cause there's, that's all we can have in the queue. Um, but then we kept going through them and the queue kept filling I, up. I so refuse nice. to believe this is the most callers. <laughs> I refuse. Okay. That's fine. Well, we had a bunch of callers. It was great. And a whole bunch of people in the chat. So thank you, uh, for doing that. And, uh, yeah. And get over to uscfootball.com. Subscribe there. If you are on live on YouTube or Facebook, please, uh, like the chat. I think we only have like 63 likes and there was like 
400 people live. So get in there. Please smash that like button. Uh, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe over to uscfootball.com. We appreciate that. And we appreciate all you kind of tuning in and uh, joining it. Hopefully this was, you know, therapeutic. We can kind of talk through some of the issues. We got more shows coming up uh, throughout the week. And, of course, it's a huge game this weekend when USC uh, takes on Utah. Can fix a lot of the problems. You beat Utah, who, you know, beat you twice last year. This is a big one. Uh, I would focus in on this and not all that other stuff. Try to get the win against Utah and then kind of go forward from there. But for uh, Triple Double, Connor Morissette and Cilantro Boy and uh, Helium Boy, Chris 18K Trevino, former swim coach for Heisman winner Caleb Williams. I'm Ryan Abraham. Hope you guys enjoyed the show and we will talk to you next time. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.